Today we're going to 1 John. You guys know it quite well. But I'm going to read John 1 through 18. It's a long read, but bear with me because it's God's word and I love reading it. Someday I would just love to do a sermon by standing up here and just reading God's word and nothing else. But I'd have to be able to see well to do that or a really large print Bible. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Now that's John, the first chapter. So as we go to chapter 3, I want you to remember that. All things were made by our Savior. Chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one would perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truthfully, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can not tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who has been born of the Spirit. How can that be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truthfully, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify what we have seen. But you still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Then how can you believe when I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses was lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world to him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh for you and me. We sitting here today all need to grow and deepen our understanding of some of the great passages of Scripture. The third chapter of John is one of the greatest for people to study and grow deeper in their faith. And it presents a man to us named Nicodemus. Now, the third chapter of John is the Gospel of John. It contains one of the most familiar verses in all Scripture. You see John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begins. You'll see it posted on road signs and sporting events. It's one of the first passages we we memorize in Sunday school. I mean, it's just what you memorize in Sunday school. John 3.16 is easy to do. And now I love Sunday school. And what it does, it's teaching the next generation, like we talked last week. That's what Sunday school does. 
But from time to time, kids in Sunday school come up with some ideas that seem a little strange. Allow me to share a few of them with you. A Sunday school teacher, before dismissing the class, was reminding the kids to behave during worship service. She asked them why it was important to be quiet during worship service. And one child answered, because some people are sleeping. No, no, no. And then another child answered, that's why they have hushers. No, it's a childy thing. Again, another Sunday school teacher was teaching the importance of love in the home. And she illustrated her point by mentioning the command, Thou shalt honor thy mother and their father. And she gave them the command which taught them how to address their brothers and sisters. And she wanted to know if they knew what it was. One little boy raised his hand innocently. He actually came from a large family. And he said, Is it thou shalt not kill? (laughs) Another Sunday school teacher challenged the children to take time on Sunday afternoon to write a letter to God. And they were to bring the letter back to the Sunday school class. One dear boy wrote, Dear God, we had a good time in church today. I wish you'd been there. Now, a very wise Sunday school teacher, wise, I mean very wise, had a habit of sending home a note each year and said, if you promise not to believe your children what they tell you everything that happens in Sunday school, I'll promise not to believe what they tell me about everything that happens at home. (laughs) Now, we all need to grow. And we need to deepen our understanding of God's holy word. The great passages of scripture, it's time to do a great study of them. The third chapter in John is one of the greatest to do that study in. So let's delve into our study today about a man named Nicodemus. First of all, we sitting here today need to understand who Nicodemus was. He was a Pharisee. They were the lawyers of Judaism. They knew and tried to follow the rules to the letter. The name Pharisee means one separated, or separated one, depends how you translate it. They were so concerned about the possibility of contamination, you know, that terrible word, by by those who would not carefully follow the rules, that they stayed away from people as much as possible. They didn't want to be around people. You ever felt like that? But that's what they did. They used their religion not as a source of caring and ministry, but as an excuse for not getting involved in the problems of others. When, I'm going to word this carefully. When we feel there are certain people whom we don't want to associate with, whom we cannot help because they're too sinful or they're too, they take up a bunch of time, we fall into the same trap. Everybody can be loved. Everybody can be cared for. Everybody can be shown the love of God. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. What we, in our modern language understanding, would call the Jewish Supreme Court. If you want a modern day translation, Jewish Supreme Court. 
These were the judges of religious conduct. And whatever they said was considered to be absolutely right. Okay, guys, nudge your wife. She's absolutely right. That's what we're talking about. Happy wife, happy life, right? Eh, it works the other way too, but we'll do that. They were the judges. Aren't there some people in the world today we live in, right here and right now, that many people treat the same way? Think of how often news stations and commercials feature the opinion of sports heroes. I'm going to pick on sports for Jay, right? And we'll throw in some movie entertainers there, right? And even politicians. And even though they have no expertise or understanding beyond what the average person like you has of what they're talking about, the very fact that their names are famous causes people to think they have a better opinion than others. It's like comparing a carpenter to a religious judge. Whose idea about God would we assume would be more accurate back then? Nicodemus was also a teacher. Many Bible translations have this passage use the words, a teacher of Israel. But that misses the mark of the meaning of the original language. The correct reading of the translation has Jesus saying, you are Israel's teacher, which is closer to the actual meaning. The word translated could be teacher of Israel. The idea given in the Greek language is that Nicodemus was one of the most knowledgeable and respected teachers in all Israel. He wasn't just a Pharisee, he was the Pharisee. Does that make sense? Does that kind of help you grasp who he was? If anybody should have understood what Jesus was saying, it was Nicodemus. His situation is a warning to us. Like children, our understanding can be a bit distorted too. But just as children expect those who love them to watch out for them, we must put our trust in Jesus who loves us and allow his Holy Spirit to watch out for us when we don't understand something. It's hard to know exactly what caused Nicodemus to come to Jesus from what Nicodemus says, it is clear that he'd heard about Jesus performing miracles. It's natural that such a thing might get him curious. You got the lame walk and the blind seeing, you might want to go pay attention, right? But it's also obvious that Nicodemus didn't come to see just another miracle. He starts by addressing Jesus as rabbi. Here's one of the most respected teachers of Israel using a title for Jesus that shows respect to him as a teacher too. We, we miss that sometimes. It is Jesus' message that Nicodemus wants to hear. Nicodemus must have become a respectful teacher because of his desire to know the truth. So here he's there. He's, he's come to Jesus because he feels Jesus might have insights to broaden his understanding. And Nicodemus 
deserves our respect for that. He really does. So why did Nicodemus come at night? We're going to look at that next. An easy answer was, or could be, that Nicodemus wanted to avoid the crowds. Was it to keep his meeting from Jesus, with Jesus secret? It is possible that he was afraid what would happen if others discovered that he sought to learn from Jesus. Quite possible. What would the other Pharisees say? Would he still be a respected teacher? Or would he be shunned? Could he endanger his position on the Sanhedrin where many already hated Jesus? It's easy for us to think this because sometimes we have been afraid of talking about Jesus because of how people might react. We say, we don't want to offend anybody or impose our beliefs on anybody. We could say we don't want to cause trouble. But those are just excuses. If we pray before meals at home, shouldn't we give thanks before we eat our meals out at the school or at a restaurant? Or Nothing looks more wonderful than watching a person pray before their meal. If we choose not to mention church activities which we have participated in when our friends ask what we did on the weekend are we leaving that out because we're ashamed we should never be ashamed of who we are or or of our God whom we serve they already think you're different so be different how many of you think your co-workers think you're a little crazy Nobody's willing to admit that your co-workers have ever thought you're crazy. <laughs> One person, you have hero status, right? Your son cheered me up for today. He'll tell you later. <laughs> Nobody else had the courage. They already think you're crazy, okay? Now, was it because he wanted to avoid the impression that he was endorsing Jesus? That is a very good possibility. I personally suspect that Nicodemus was genuinely unsure who Jesus was and what he was teaching. So he was coming to learn. Nicodemus may have wanted to avoid giving the impression that he was endorsing Jesus. He didn't want to lead others astray. So I'm cutting him the slack. That's the box I'm putting him in. I also think Nicodemus also wanted to have a private conversation not just listen to Jesus speaking in a crowd. You learn a lot more in a one-on-one -on -one conversation than listening to a speech. Coming at night may have been one of the best ways for him to do that. In the Gospel of John, the word night sometimes carries a threatening overtone. Sometimes night and darkness represents ignorance and evil throughout his book. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says, and talk about Jesus, he says, In him is life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. In the book of Genesis, it describes what it was like before God created the world darkness, and God's first act was to create light. And at the end of history, in the book of Revelation, it describes a time when there'll be no more night. 
Revelation 22 verse 5 starts off and says, there'll be no more night, there'll be no more need for a lamp, there'll be no, or the light of the sun, for God himself will be our light. Now, what should we sitting here today learn from their meeting? Now, in fairness, John may be using Nicodemus as an example of someone who places his trust in religion rituals, religious rituals, right, instead of a personal relationship. And Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to understand there has to be a radical change in his life. Like being born again, starting all over again. Living a new life guided by God's Holy Spirit. Nicodemus is Jewish. But this principle applies universally, not between just between Jews. It applies between Christians and Judaism. It is a fact that we are likely to see legalistic rituals in Christianity in many places. There are some legalistic rituals. Some churches actually practice closed communion. It's not our table, it's his table. I mean, we make, we make rules. Where the strain is between church and rituals, having a relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ, we choose the relationship of Christ over the rituals of the church. God will guide you, he'll direct you, he'll empower you. Going through church with rituals is not enough. That's just a feeble attempt to reach God and is doomed to fail. By The Sanhedrin proved that. It's a personal relationship. Now this is tough to explain. So allow me to try. I want you to think, I want you to think now of somebody that you love. That might be your spouse, your parents, or someone else very close to you. And if you really love that person... I suspect you'll go out of your way to find ways to show your love. You'll probably give gifts like flowers, right? Or cookies, you know. There's nothing better than calling the hubby in and say, smell those cookies, right? It makes the whole whole house smell good. Unless you got diabetes, then you got to be careful. Or flowers on the table, right? And you'll probably want to spend a lot of time with them. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that you don't love that person. Could you still force yourself to do all those fun things? Could you act out of a sense of duty instead of fear, or even fear? Could an outside observer, now this is what I'm trying to get to, could an outside observer tell the difference? Now, really, that really does depend on how good an actor you are. But I suspect your true feelings would come out sooner or later. They'd eventually show through. Now, you might come here this morning because you're generally seeking to worship God. Or you might come out of here out of habit or obligation. Someone else might find it difficult to detect and know the difference. But you're not fooling yourself and you're not fooling God. The ones who've come here to worship get to worship. The ones who come here to be seen have been seen. Am I making sense of this? If not, next sermon will make it. 
Jesus is not content simply to point out the problem. Instead, he also provides an answer for Nicodemus. He says that you have to change. Any one of us can change from just going through the motions to a real relationship with Jesus. The Spirit of God makes this possible. Now, psychologists, uh, uh, bear with me, they're just, they're, they're, I'm going to quote them here, but they have, they say in their books that there's three simple steps to change. If they're that simple, they might be doing them, right? First, you have to realize you need a change. Second, you have to have a desire to change. Third, you have to commit to changing. Well, Christianity has talked about these same three steps for generations. The religious words are conviction, repentance, and rebirth. The psychiatrists were just copying us. We recognize that these are not steps that we can take by ourselves, though. We can only take these steps because God's Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. All are called, but you have to respond. And the Apostle Paul reminds the Christians in Rome, in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we know that we used, we know what we used to be, and it was nailed to a cross with him. Romans 6, 4 says, By being baptized, we were buried with him in his death. Christ has been raised from the dead by the Father's glory. And like Christ, we will have a new life. I like the new life. Now, the the story of Nicodemus does not end here. It goes on in chapter 7. We hear about Nicodemus again in chapter 7 of the book of John. The Sanhedrin are discussing what to do about Jesus, and there are those who are in charge of the temple, and they want him arrested. Nicodemus speaks up, and he said, it would be illegal to arrest Jesus without first hearing what he had to say. Now, there's one final mention in the Bible of Nicodemus. After the crucifixion, the disciple who had followed Jesus in public were, they were all hiding. They're all behind locked rooms. And at that critical time, Nicodemus and his friend Joseph of Arimathea stepped forward to arrange for the burial of Jesus. Nicodemus is the one who talked to Jesus in secret, but he was no longer afraid of being considered being contaminated by this Jesus. Jesus had just been crucified. He had been found an enemy of the state of Israel and of Rome. And what Nicodemus did was dangerous. It was putting, that's not putting it lightly. He was standing tall and showing true courage. Not worrying about what someone else might be watching or what someone else might think of him being contaminated by Jesus. Nor did he care that what anybody else thought about his association. Finally, publicly, openly, he acknowledged Jesus. Hmm. Let's think about this. He 
He did what he could do for Jesus. Nicodemus had changed. He had moved past religious rituals and now was no longer ashamed of being associated with Jesus. Nicodemus wasn't the only one. After the resurrection, the appearances of Jesus and his ascension back into heaven, the apostles went back into Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, a large crowd gathered and Peter preached the first gospel message, telling them in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, You nailed Jesus to the cross, but God has made him both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were, it was, it had deep effect on them. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, all of you must turn away from your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and your sins will be forgiven. Then in verse 40 and 41, it says, Peter and many of the others warned them of many other things and he begged them, save yourself from this evil people or this crooked generation depending on your translation and those who are accepted were baptized about 3,000 joined the believers that day with that tremendous beginning the church grew and grew it wasn't long until the book of Acts mentions that there were 5,000 men part of the group now I'm going to read you Acts chapter 7 a verse that we just kind of skip over far too often um So the word of God was spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We passed by it too quickly. We may not have ever even noticed it. A large number of priests. Acts 6, 7. They had seen the three hours of darkness. They had lived through the earthquake and the very rocks crying out. They knew the veil of the temple was rent in two, torn in two. They knew that those there were those raised to life and had waited in the graveyard when Jesus dies and they were dead and now they're alive. It wasn't just Jesus. There were other dead people walking. And I wonder if any of them had actually performed their funerals before Jesus had died on that old rugged cross. Because that's what Pharisees did. They did funerals. But they they needed to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And I believe, personally, that Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, must have paved the way for them. Whether he realized or not, for the priest to take seriously the message of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior for whom they'd been waiting. There's an old saying... Actions speak louder than words. When it comes to serving Jesus, both are very important. I would love to tell you all sorts of stories. I would love to tell you all sorts of things. But it's not what we do. It's about what our Savior does. It's about walking with Him, talking with Him. You've all had times you want to throw up your hands. Well, I'm assuming you have, because I've had, right? You know, there's times when you need things fixed, you're tired of it, it's going wrong. We are blessed that we can turn it over to God. If we didn't have God, 
what would this world be like? What would, you know, we can look at the world and say, I'm going home soon. I don't have to worry about it. But on the other hand, the rest of the world's in trouble and turmoil. If you didn't have God walking with you, how would you live in this dark world right now? You know, we have the blessing that we can say, God, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but you're in charge. Just don't make it hurt too much. Ah, he learned he listens. Any of you actually had an extra pain or ache this week? Right? Just be thankful. We don't have to take these bodies with us when we go to heaven. We get a brand new body. It made in all glory. Made by the master builder. Oh, what a day that will be when I don't have an ache or a pain. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Our Savior died that we can spend eternity in heaven with our, with our Lord. And no matter what is going on in this world, we can lay it at His feet. Our, the wisdom, though, is not to pick it up again. Have you ever laid something at His feet and then you pick it back up again? Leave it there. He's in charge. Let's close in prayer, then we'll invite you for some goodies after we sing our chorus. Our Heavenly Father, Nicodemus made the move from religious rituals to a personal saving knowledge in you. And we see that a large number of priests were changed too. Father, you used them, you guided them, you directed them. Now use us, guide us, and direct us that we might be the light that you've called us to be. And all God's people said, Amen.